the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Having spent several decades becoming world leaders in making little or no money, box carriers find themselves in the somewhat unusual position of running low on superlatives to describe just how vast the piles of cash they've been hoovering up this year have become. The setting of new records barely rates a mention these days, and new records seldom last long enough to be of significance. But given the fact that rates have risen tenfold at the extreme this year, we thought it might be a good time to stand back and take a look at what happens next. Because this is not a short-term issue. Nobody sensible expects freight rates to stabilise in the near term. The seasonal surge in demand for consumer goods ahead of the annual holiday shopping season is only adding to the crunch as factories rush to get their goods to US and European markets on time. Then you have the low inventories to consider – Routine COVID shutdowns, heavy stimulus spending and a growing US economy. That's all coming after a year of disruption, lack of containers, port congestion and a shortage of vessels in the right positions that has created a situation where, it's fair to say, cargo demand far exceeds available capacity. Spoiler alert, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But how much worse and how much better? That's the question. So I've drafted in our resident box boffins this week to take a short break from analysing the details and considering the uh, day-to-day view to give us the bigger picture. Joining me this week are Lois List's very own containers editor, James Baker, and Janet Porter, chair of the Lois List editorial board. I'm going to start with a view on where we are in this somewhat extraordinary market. So, James, I'm going to start with you as somebody who's been reporting every twist and turn on this story and get your perspective on what happens next. But then I'm going to come to Janet, who's been covering containers for a lot longer than both of us, uh, to give us the historical perspective on quite how extraordinary this really is. So, James, do you think it's fair to say that it is going to get worse before it gets better. And how do you see this current situation playing out? The, the current immediate crisis of, of just ridiculously crazy high prices um, will last for another month or two. Traditionally, it goes through to about mid-October. After that, if it's not been shipped, it's not going to be there for Christmas. So um, we, we should see a slight easing from the, the current craziness. Um Longer term, however, we've, we've still got a, a completely congested supply chain. Um, there's congestion at the ports. Things aren't moving inland. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, inventories are, are, are at record lows. Um, it's going to take a long time to build those back up again. So, um, you know, even I mean, somebody said that even if we stop shipping everything tomorrow, it would still take three or four months to get the backlog through the system. And of course, things aren't <laughs> going to stop tomorrow. So, you know, the earliest indications for any real easing in the in the congestion, the supply chain, are after the Chinese New Year slowdown um, in February next year. But even given that, there's a, a year's worth of, invent, of inventory building that is needed. So we're looking at elevated rates. And by elevated, I mean, we're not looking at these $10,000, $20,000 rates, which are absolutely the outliers. But I think we can expect to see you know, when rates drift back to any form of normal, we're going to be looking at the $2,000 to $5,000 range and not the old $1,000 to $2,000 range. And that's a, you know, that's a, a best sort of picture. Um, but that's not coming until probably the end of next year, I'd say. Mm. 
I mean, Janet, we, we tend to get a bit excited as journalists covering containers, uh, you know, when people start making money. And, you know, perhaps we have overegged this, but I don't remember a point at which the markets have been this crazy in the 20 odd years I've been writing about shipping. You've been writing about it a lot longer than I have. Are we are we overegging this or is this as extraordinary as we, we think it is at the moment? No, I think it's totally extraordinary. And it is difficult to see where it's going to go. I mean, 15 months ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think most of us thought um, the container lines were going to be losing billions of dollars. Um, they may be more bankruptcies. Nobody saw this coming. And um, I, have, I certainly don't remember anything quite like this. I've seen some extraordinary markets, but not these sort of spikes, this incredible the whole supply chain being backed up, you know, 40 ships last night waiting outside LA Long Beach and it only takes one small thing anywhere in the world to make it all come to a halt as we know whether it's the ever given or it's what's happened in Yangshin so everything is so delicately balanced at the moment whereas in the past there always seemed to be alternatives there always seemed to be some way around it ships could go faster or slower um, you could find alternative ports you could go to the charter market to get tonnage if you need it. You can't do that now. There just isn't anything. There's no slack in the system at all. So um, I think you're quite right. I think it's absolutely extraordinary times, and it is difficult to see see it coming to or coming to more normal conditions anytime soon because of what we can already see. Uh, I think that's the benefit of shipping. We can see things well ahead of what um, the official statisticians or economists or politicians might see. We're seeing in real time what's going on in the global economy because of where the ships are backed up mm. well let's talk about the, the backing up because we're talking just as the congestion outside Meixing is is starting to ease things are uh, opening up gradually thereafter the covid lockdown but that as you suggested was only the latest in a long line of uh incidents we had yantian closed down a few months prior to that um and obviously the Suez canal blockage prior to that where, where are we at the moment in terms of port congestion? Um, we, we saw the, the Lloyd's List containers uh, top 100 ports out this week, and that's given us some insight. But, James, I mean, what, what, what what's your view in terms of port congestion right now? Well, we are, we are getting back up. You know, we've seen this you know, record 40 container ships, or record equaling 40 container ships um, sitting at anchor waiting to get a berth at um, Long Beach or Los Angeles. Um, that's the big picture number, but that's happening around the world. You know, Antwerp, Hamburg, Rotterdam. It's it's the same in Europe as well. Felix knows another. Um, the, it, it may not be as, as as pronounced there because there are more ports to go to. But um, yeah, it's you know, it's it's one thing for Meijing to open up again and say, great, cargo starts flowing, but. In a sense, this is like a, a champagne cork or the you know the notorious ketchup bottle. Um, everything suddenly comes out at once. Now that these, you know, the same thing happened after Yantian, same thing happened after the Suez closure. Um, that cargo that was held off and backed up for a while um, suddenly floods through, and it's happening in the middle of the peak season. So mm. yeah, um, um, the you know the ships are arriving, and when they can be worked, that you know they are being worked, but. The yards on the <clears throat> container terminals are completely crowded. That makes them a lot more inefficient. So it takes longer. To, you know, boxes are, are sitting in the terminal longer before they're shipped out. Um, once they get shipped out, you've got to find space on a train or a truck. Um, all these things are, are facing shortages as well. Then they get to a warehouse where 
you know, because of staff shortages and so on, everything's really overcrowded and, and bursting at the seams. So, like I say, until the peak season has worked its way through, and probably for some time after that, none of this is going to ease up in a hurry. And I mean, one of the, the the side effects of these extraordinary times is you see slightly extraordinary stories coming out of them as a result. We covered uh, a few weeks ago the remarkable amount of tonnage that MSC have been hoovering up, $2.2 billion worth of old tonnage that we calculated they've been buying, simply because it's cheaper for them to buy old tonnage, knowing that they're going to have to scrap it sooner or later, uh, rather than charter it at elevated prices. But the other really extraordinary uh, story that we've seen coming out is the fact that Walmart has become the latest big American retail brand to take shipping matters into its own hands, chartering a number of ships. And that follows in the footstep, I think, uh, Home Depot did a, a similar move, uh, deciding to move some of its goods on the Trans-Pacific via tonnage at controls rather than pay the sky-high rates. Uh, you know, do, do you think that's going to become a trend or is this just a, a, a temporary blip, do you think? I, I think it's going to be a blip. I mean, <clears throat> when you look at the top line numbers, you know, you think you can you know, hire a ship for, you know, even if it's $100,000 a day, um, if you need that for 45 days, that's four and a half million. Um, put two and a half thousand boxes on it. Um, now, if you're paying $10,000 a day, um, uh, sorry, $10,000 per TEU, that's going to cost you 25 million. Charging your own ships, only four and a half million. Um, but that is a very superficial view of it. Um, I think some of these people that are looking into it are just looking at these top line numbers. Um, once you start to add in the other costs, the port fees, the port dues, um, the, the fuel costs, um, putting a team together that can manage the, the shipping process. It's, you know, um, container shipping is, is there for a reason. It's, it's a very complicated uh, business. Um, you need people at both ends to manage getting the, the, uh, the boxes on and off the ships. Um, it, it's not just a matter of you know, let's charter a ship and go and pick up some 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 goods in China. Um, so I think while we do have these crazy rates, you may see a little bit of it. Only the very big people like, you know, the Walmarts, the Home Depots that, you know, take, have annual volumes of close to a million a year. I mean, that's, that's a small shipping line in its own respect. But, um, yeah, it, it will very quickly, if it's not, uneconomical already it will very quickly become uneconomical um mm. i mean we understand that walmart's actually tried this before in the past um sort of uh, you know to do this and you know chartered a few ships back in the around the turn of the century but that was very quietly faded away after a year or two because i think you know the rates just don't work out yeah, as you say, it's, I mean, it's not a new story. There were suggestions a few years back that Amazon was uh, going to be competing with Maersk and MSC sooner or later, but that never really panned out to be much. It turns out running a shipping company is quite complicated. It's a very complicated business. Exactly. And there, be, there have been other attempts as well in the past and newcomers breaking into different trades many, many years ago. I remember there was one called the Scotch Line, which is just going to specialise in Scotch whiskey, I seem to remember, and that I don't even know if it had a single service. And then there was the <laughs> container ship on the day. <laughs> but it is really hard. People think it's easy. I think container shipping is very simple. It's just getting a ship from A to B and that's it and everybody could do it. But I think we've seen over the over the years, the decades, that it is really, really hard to break in. You need that 
whole system. It's not just a question of getting a ship from A to B. It's the whole system from door to door. And um, we, you know, we hear that Walmart and Home Depot and maybe one or two others are trying it. And maybe it's just trying to give the lines a bit of a scare rather than seeing it as a serious business venture. But right now, um, even just trying to get hold of a ship or some decent ships must be really, really hard. So it's not easy at all. And I would very much doubt if these these um, initiatives would last all that long. As if, if they start going at all, to be honest. I mean, you know, there's the old famous recipe is to, to, to make your rabbit stew, first catch a rabbit. Um, but in this case, it's just start a shipping line, first catch a ship. Um, you know, the carriers, uh, I mean, if a carrier is prepared to pay $300,000 a day for a you know, 3.500 TEU ship for 30 or 60 days, then they will be grabbing any bit of tonnage that's out there. Um, for for a, a BCO to come along that doesn't have those long-term working relationships with brokers that just coming into it fresh, just getting the ships is going to be you know the first really hard hurdle to jump over. No, I absolutely agree. I think you, you know, if you're coming up against Mr. Aponte or somebody like that, you you know who's going to win. Um, but it's it it is just symptomatic of what's happening at the moment. You know, everybody's trying to get any or do anything they can to get their goods from A to B. And um, you know, going back to what James was saying earlier, this is a lot of Christmas. The Christmas uh, stuff is just not going to arrive in time. I and mean, this is the peak season. Traditionally, people start shipping now from Asia to either North America or Europe for the festival of North America. It's for the um, Black Friday after Thanksgiving when everyone goes out spending and then Christmas. And um, it's clear that, you know, we're not going to have, we're not going to go without. I don't think you can say Christmas is cancelled, but there may be some disappointed children maybe on Christmas Day not getting the gifts that they were hoping for. It will all, it'll all sort itself out in the end because we can't keep on this great spending boom forever. People will start spending more money on going out to restaurants or on holiday or the theatre or whatever and not buying so much stuff. So it's not going to last forever. I think the question is now that the lines are, you know, they're really, they're really making so much money at the moment. They couldn't have dreamt of this either. What they're going to spend it on, whether they will, there's not much scope for M&A activity, especially in other lines, whether they will start moving up and down the supply chain or repaying their, their very patient shareholders who've seen their shareholder value depreciate somewhat considerably over the last decade or so. But I think that will be very interesting to see how they spend their money. I mean, we've seen that Mercer's gone back to shipyards, but that's sort of, you know, they needed to. They need to get modern tonnage. They're going for methane-capable ships. I don't think that's any great surprise, but I don't think I think there's a limit to how much you know the lines can go and spend more money or spend their money on more ships. So I think it will be interesting to see what they decide to do with it all or just um, pay off debt. Yeah, and, and there does seem to be a divergence in the strategy in terms of what they're going to be spending their uh, their hauls on. Um, I mean, obviously there is a discrepancy between the short-term uh, opportunistic buys that we've seen MSC make and their long-term ordering strategy. And of course, Maersk has a very different strategy all of its own in terms of its uh, supply chain. But it's fair to say that not all the lines are pursuing the same routes. I mean, James, do you think there is a danger that with this, um, you know, the deep pockets that the lines now have, that we could see them shoot themselves in the foot in terms of uh, capacity uh, in the in the midterm? 
I don't think so at the moment. I think everyone learnt the lessons of the first half of this sort of period around 2010. You know, we had big boom during the first 10 years of the of the decade, then the financial crisis, and ended up in 2010 with an order book that represented 60% of the existing fleet. Um, you know, by 2016, we all know how that had worked out. Um, and everyone's a bit more mature now. I don't think we have this sort of fierce sort of battle for market share when we had 20 lines. We've got a lot less, fewer competitors now. Um, <clears throat> on the on the fleet thing, uh, you know, a lot of this, I mean, we've had a, over 5 million TEU on the order book at the moment, I think it is. And um, that is going to be largely absorbed. We've got a couple of issues coming up. So some of the fleet is, you know, we, we, you talked about these ships that MSC's been buying. A lot of those are coming towards the end of their life. They've got a year or two left in them, um, and they need to go to the yards. We've also got a lot more environmental regulation coming in that is going to mean that a lot of these less efficient older ships are going to have to steam at very slow speeds, which means either they get sent to the knackers yards and aren't used, well, they are used, but very low speeds, which means you need a lot more ships to run the same loops. So a lot of that capacity will be taken up on that. So I'm not too concerned. I mean, the order book's sitting at around 20%. I'm not too concerned about that. I don't think many people are because they see that, you know, there is scope for this new capacity to be deployed without leading to the old 2015, 2016 overcapacity situation. I think it's also worth remembering, and it's obvious really, but when you're ordering ships, these ships are going to be needed for the next 25 years or so. Demand, supply and demand are never, ever going to equally match each other. You know, when you order a ship and it delivers the, the supply, immediately goes out, it's ratcheted up. It's not a smooth line. So, you know, even if there's a bit of overcapacity, maybe in 2023, 24, when some of these new buildings are delivered, that doesn't mean to say that it was it was a foolish thing to do because these are long term investments and this is the problem with container shipping. You're always looking at short term demand where against long term supply. So it's a really difficult calculation. But I agree with you, James. I don't think they're I think this is a dangerous situation. I mean, when it was sixty percent on order compared to the existing fleet back in was it ten years ago, I mean that was obviously going to be, you know, end in tears. But this seems to be fairly, at the moment, fairly sensible ordering. The fact that there are far fewer lines that are going to order these really big ships, that in itself is a sort of limiting factor. So, you know, I think on the capacity side, I think it's actually, looks to me, quite orderly and sensible. And, um, you know, I'd imagine there'd be some more orders over the next few months. I think it's interesting also that there seem to be 15,000 TU. That sort of size seems to be the new... Um, the workhorses, maybe there won't be so many in the 23,000, 24,000 TEU class, but the 15,000s, I would imagine, will be in good demand because they're so versatile. So to be clear, you are cancelling Christmas, but you think midterm, we're all much more mature, grown up and sensible people that will uh, try to balance supply and demand uh, going forward. Absolutely. <laughs> Container shipping has become sensible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's hope so. Very dangerous prediction to make. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we will um, leave it there for the moment. We will no doubt be revisiting uh, this topic and uh, several related issues to this uh, as we go through the year. But for now, James Baker, Janet Porter, thank you for joining the Voiceless Podcast yet again. Yeah.